I'm Jimmy James. I'm Carl Knapp. Carl is a practicing attorney in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. We're longtime friends, and once a week we get together to talk about divorce, child support, custody, criminal law, and much more. So come hang out, because this is Just Lawing Around. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Just Lawing Around podcast. Today we have a special guest, and I'm going to let Carl go ahead and introduce him. So I'm going to hand it off to you, Carl. Yeah, hey, uh, James. Uh, today we have a, a friend of mine. Uh, we actually grew up together uh, in Montgomery County. His name is David Friedman, and he is a practicing attorney. He works for a, an insurance defense firm in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. The name is Furry Ullman is the name of the firm. And his job there as uh, attorney, he does civil litigation and a lot of um, auto and vehicle cases. So he's knows an awful lot about insurance coverage and um, we're going to be asking him a lot of questions about, you know, all, all those things that appear on your insurance policy. Uh, Dave is also married. I know he has two boys. He lives in uh, Montgomery County and he's, he's an all around great guy. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Dave. Can you, you can hear me. Okay. I hear you. Great. Thanks for having me. So in terms of your, I know you do insurance defense and, and, you know, civil litigation. Can you give us just like, you know, a brief overview, like what, what kind of things do you do in a day, like on a daily basis? So, so various insurance companies will retain me and members of my firm to do all sorts of different things. Usually all our cases start with a car accident and then there's either litigation or some sort of investigation thereafter. Sometimes uh, uh, an insured will get sued by the person they hit or the injured insured will sue their own insurance carrier for underinsured or uninsured motorist coverage. Sometimes there'll be something that'll happen where there'll be a question as to whether there's coverage or not. Sometimes there's fraud investigations. There's, there's all types of things that the insurance company will hire us to do for them. Um, we almost always represent the insurance company or something on the insurance company's behalf. Now, the one of the things, you, you know, the insurance company hires you guys, and I, I'm certainly not an expert on auto insurance, but I know one of the things I believe they have is a duty to defend, right? So if I have a insurance policy, you know, with, with a company, ABC Insurance, and, and I hit somebody and they sue me, my insurance company then provides a lawyer. Is that is that kind of what you yes. do, the lawyer, under that scenario? Yes. Uh, I don't do a lot of that anymore. I do more of the uninsured, underinsured, and coverage work. But we have four or five attorneys in our firm that do mostly that. That's called third party. So what will happen is, you know, Carl, you'll hit Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith sues you. And your insurance carrier, ABC Insurance, will hire a guy like me to defend you in that lawsuit. Some of the carriers will have house counsel, which would be another another person like me that just happens to be an employee of the insurance company, but they're an attorney that they retain to defend you in the car accident litigation. So you would be get it. You would get an attorney from me, free uh, attorney from ABC Insurance Company, free of charge to defend you in the litigation. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't know that. Like, you don't pay them. That's part of your insurance policy. Like, so that that's that's a nice benefit of having insurance, obviously. And is that all policies? 
like you get that you know that that lawyer coverage under like regardless of the level of your policy yes no matter you'll have that duty to defend in almost every instance i mean there are certain limited circumstances where you can sort of ruin your ability to have that uh defense from your carrier but that's that's very rarely occurs you know if, if right. you're not cooperative or something happens like that maybe they would disclaim but absent something extraordinary uh your insurance co coverage will provide you a lawyer to defend you in the litigation that's pretty standard that's crazy i never knew that that's like a because that could cost a lot of money to hire an attorney for something like that <laughs> yeah well I don't, i'm not gonna yeah. ask dave what he bills but uh but yeah they <laughs> But he doesn't bill the client. He bills the insurance company. That is correct. The, the client does not get a bill from me. Right. Um, the, the insurance carrier does. Gotcha. Okay. And, so that, that's, and that's a condition like of your that. policy. That's, that's in that, all those little fine print pages. You get 30, 35 pages of your insurance yes. policy that right. they send you. And you're probably throwing a file somewhere that's in there somewhere. So <laughs> right. you're going to okay. get, get a lawyer. So, so some of that failure to, yeah, you talk about, and I know most people, they don't even look at their policy, right? They, they go to an agent or something. The agent says, look, I can get you insured because insurance is required in Pennsylvania, right? You have to have certain minimum coverage in order to operate a vehicle. And do you, I mean, you could tell us what those are, I assume, Dave, right? Yeah. So, so you are, you are required to have uh, bodily injury liability. So that is, you know, if you hit someone else, you're required to have $15,000 per person and $30,000 per accident of liability coverage, which I don't think is a lot and is probably insufficient for your needs. Um, you're gonna have first party benefits uh, of at least $5,000. That's gonna cover your first $5,000 of medical bills and then property damage of another $5,000, which I also think is woefully inadequate. You're going to cost $5,000 worth of damage just about having any accident at all. So there's so, the minimums. There's some yeah. other minimums that, that go along with that, but those are the big, the big ones. So, so property damage that, that doesn't cover my vehicle, right? That covers somebody else. In theory, it's supposed to cover it all. I had something like that happen to me. I delivered pizza and there's this, this place that I delivered to right in the, right off to the side of their driveway. But in their driveway, they had this like white, uh, like sewage, uh, pipe coming up out of the ground with no cap on it, nothing. And I backed up over it and tore this thing up <laughs> and, uh, and my insurance company ended up covering it. And I, I never even thought that like insurance would cover like that property damage. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be like their homeowner's insurance, but I guess it was my fault. No, my car ended up covering yeah. it. Yeah, if you if something occurs while you're driving the car, it's going to be your car insurance. Um, yeah. The homeowners generally has a provision in there that specifically says it doesn't overlap with the with the car insurance. So it's going to be either or. It's very 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 rare that both are going to be covered, and and it's almost never. So right. you're going to get one or the other. Right. Okay. So on the on the property damage though, if you have say five thousand dollars of limits and you're driving along and you know you cr you crash into the Lamborghini in front of you, right? <laughs> and, you and you cause two hundred thousand dollars worth of damage. 
Well, I mean, your insurance company pays pays out the five grand, and and then what? Well, it depends on the insurance company. It depends on you know what you damaged. Sometimes the insurance the insurance companies will kind of just throw their hands up and move on and pay the claim for their insured and just be done with it. Sometimes the insurance carriers will institute a lawsuit against you for the property damage. That's why it's important to have enough of that. I mean, it's. Wait, you mean well, the person yeah, that you had, hit will then turn around yeah, and try so, to. So yeah. yeah. So Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith knocks down a, a Pico telephone pole and Pico will sue Mr. Smith. if Mr. Smith doesn't have enough sometimes or, or, you know, the insurance carrier for Mr. Jones that he hit, you know, the insurance carrier had to pay $38,000 to fix Mr. Jones's car. You know, mm. the insurance carrier might sue Mr. Smith for, you know, that money. It's called a subrogation claim. That that happens more often than you think it's important to have enough property damage coverage. I mean, if, if you, you know, and then you got a judgment that follows you around or they put you on a payment plan. It's, it's not... Uh, yeah, and that's yeah. that could be right because because I've you know you've seen those, you know I've seen cars you know you drive by the side of the road and somebody crashes into the Pico pole and I'm sure those things yeah. are expensive. Pico is going to sue new sue you know the driver of the vehicle. Uh, do do you then do they have a defense to that? Like yeah, they, they would they would assign them. you they would assign you another lawyer like me. Okay. You know, Same. maybe maybe you had a sept. I had, we have one in the firm right now. It's a sept stanchion and septa wants you know to be paid back for fixing it. So they <laughs> they hire a lawyer like me, and a lawyer like me will tell the septa lawyer or whomever, you know, hey, here's the coverage. Here's what's left of the coverage because usually they don't just damage one thing; they damage a bunch of things. Right. Oh yeah, and. <clears throat> Or, or a, pen, a pen dot guardrail or whatever. And then, you know, sometimes they'll split up the, what's left of the property damage coverage. And sometimes they'll go against the, the person to either get a judgment note or get a, get a judgment or make them make payments. I mean, it, it's, it's yeah. not something you should skimp on because, you know, it's, it's, it happens more often than you think that people don't have enough property damage coverage and they, they, become the defendant in a property damage lawsuit because there's, you know, the insurance co company will tender their limit, but if the limit's only five or $10,000 and you've caused $38,000 of damage, yeah, you have a problem. They, they're going to want their money. <laughs> is, is the insurance company out at that point then, Dave, or do they still continue to represent? If they tender the policy limits, they say, hey, we have 5,000 in coverage. Here you go, Pico. Do they then continue to, to represent the insured or they just kind of wash their hands and say, look, we've, we've paid what we owe. You're on your own. Now, usually the duty to defend will continue. There are some instances where they might pay their money into court and try and mm -hmm. wash their hands, but they're going to have to probably provide you a, a def, uh, an attorney until the conclusion of the litigation. Uh, wow. That's, that's okay. interesting. Yeah, I, I thought they bailed out after they paid their whatever they owed. They they got out, but yeah, you would seem like they're, they're, they stay in. Yeah, like their but requirement to be there would end uh, at some point. No, I, I have claims where where I I've settled the claim on behalf of the insurance carrier or my client, but the plaintiff is still you know the plaintiff is still chasing around a, a bar on a dram shop claim 
or the, they're chasing around another defendant or whatever. And I stay in the claim to defend my client till the end, even though I have a joint tort reserve release or whatever that I'm out, but I still have to stay until the end. Well, that was, there was a lot of legal ease in there, Dave, but I, I heard you, I heard you <laughs> mention dram shop and I know we're not doing DUI yeah, or drinking, but give, give yeah. us a, give us a thumbnail. What a dram shop sure. action looks sure. like. What, yeah. What a, yeah, what'll happen is um, if if there's, you know, Mr. Smith goes to the bar and is served while he's visibly intoxicated, and then Mr. Smith drives home and hits Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones has a claim against Mr. Smith, as well as the bar that served him while he was visibly intoxicated. So I have claims where, you know, I've tendered Mr. Smith's policy, but they're still chasing the, uh, the bar that served Mr. Smith for a tram shop yeah. claim that's still pending. So I stay in for Mr. Smith, but, you know, I'm, I'm sort of not out of the case, but I've already paid and they're not really chasing me anymore. They're chasing the bar. That's a dram shop claim. Right. So, right. That's when you sue the bar that, that serves somebody they shouldn't have served, whether they're visiting intoxicated or I guess a minor. And bars have like that, that more obligation yeah. not to serve somebody past a certain point. Is yeah. That- you're not supposed to serve them while they're visibly intoxicated. Oh, so that that's a whole nother legal legal standard that you have to <laughs> usually get that's an expert lawyer, for. Lawyers and, make their money on on that one. Um, yeah, because every yeah. bar does that. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, I you know, I, I know some bartenders and, and not to get, see, this is where we get off track a little bit, but yeah, yeah there are people, <laughs> you you might be an alcoholic where you could drink, you know, five or six martinis and not be, and still be stone-faced and not be visibly intoxicated. Right. I was going to say uh, that probably creates a pretty you know, big complication. So you're not visibly intoxicated, right. but the bartender's got to know, look, I just gave that guy, you know, 12 ounces of vodka <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and and look, I, I you know i don't do these cases but you know I, I can see i can see where it could be you know an issue from both sides i have a question uh, i wanted to know how how has technology in the last few years assisted you in, in i guess the course of your job as far as dash cams go and stuff like that and actually being able to get the footage of incidences happening I get a lot more videos than I did 10 years ago. That's for sure. I have, you know, there'll be a video on a, on a, on a gas station that happens to show an intersection. I've had three or four of those. There are a lot of cameras around that you don't even realize are around. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not most of my cases, but it's probably, it's increasing every year. It might be 10% or 15%. The wow. dash cams are not as prevalent as you know, they probably will be in another few years. Yeah, but, I, yeah I have a dash cam for sure. <laughs> I, I I get a lot more cases where I got a video that I did before, that's for sure. Especially if and you're in you, a commercial area, you're gonna get it. You know, the local Wawa has it pointed out at the, the intersection or whatever. Right. And do you guys, uh, I mean, do you guys have like an investigator that goes out and get that or do you, or do you do do that in discovery i guess as a dash cam you could get it in discovery or or you send somebody out to the scene and they look around and they go oh looks like wawa's got a camera yeah how do you get that the claims, stuff the claims professionals that i deal with are are generally really really good at their jobs and they'll 
you know, it'll be part of the claim file that I get. You know, I don't get the claim, you know, two weeks after the accident generally, unless it's something, you know, strange. Usually there's been some talk between the plaintiff's lawyer and the claims professional try to settle the claim and they're unable to do that. So then it comes to me or someone in my firm and I'll usually have a bunch of medical records already, usually not everything, but, but a lot. And if there's a video that helps the plaintiff, they usually provide it. And if there's a video that doesn't, <laughs> usually I have to get it somehow. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, I have the police report already. It's very, very rare that I have a claim that doesn't have some of the legwork done already when it's sent to me. I mean, I'll get a claim file with, you know, 800 pages or 1,100 pages or whatever that's medicals and investigation and scene photos and police reports and recorded statements. I don't, I don't get a claim right away. Usually there's been some legwork. So if there's a video that's known to exist, usually the, the, the police officer will mention it in the police report and then somebody will track it down and it'll be in my claim materials. If I can't get it, you know, if it's not in the materials, I, I have, you know, investigators that I retain or, you know, they'll, they'll get it for me or if my client has it or whatever. So, so nine times out of 10, it's in the claim materials and then I just get it if it's not. And now if a Wawa does, and we're just, using Wawa randomly, not for any specific reason, but say a Wawa does capture an accident, are they required to provide the footage or is that more of a courtesy? Sometimes they'll give it to the police. Sometimes I got to send them a subpoena, but gotcha. that's not a big deal. I'll send them a subpoena and they usually send it right over. I mean, once it's in litigation, it's a lot easier to get documents from, from, from medical providers and, and hospitals. And, right. You know, in that, you know, subpoena is generally pretty, pretty good about getting the documents or the, the discovery that's needed. Um, if there's no, if there's no litigation yet, sometimes I'll get claims before there's litigation. Um, I'll send authorizations to get medical records that the plaintiff's attorney will provide to me. But if I don't have subpoena power, it be, can become more difficult to get. But once there's subpoena power, it's relatively straightforward. Yeah, and to get, you, you touched on it, but yeah, just so the listeners understand, you can only have a subpoena, or you can only get a subpoena if there's pending litigation that a claim has been filed with the courts. Is that right, Dave? Yeah, once in a while, I will file a, 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 a writ, it's called. It's not a full complaint. It's just a writ. It's a notice of a lawsuit just to send a subpoena and then I'll withdraw it. I've done that a few times over the years, but yeah, you can only send a subpoena when you have a docket number in the court, because that's sort of the, the authority right. that provides you the ability to serve the subpoena. You have to have a docket number. Do you ever have trouble, you know, with people not complying with subpoenas? Like you said, well, well, obviously would, but I imagine sometimes you serve maybe an individual or a person and they don't comply. Yeah, they, there are times, you know, if I send somebody a subpoena for a deposition and they don't appear, you know, that that's more often. Usually when I send a medical provider or a business a subpoena, they comply because they send me a bill for, you know, getting the documents together. They're, <laughs> they're allowed right. statutorily to right. get copying fees. So, you know, they, they, they make a little, a little bit on it, but Usually, I don't have that big of a deal. Sometimes there's a there's a provider or two that make me wait a little longer than some, but 
you know, there are ways for me to file a, a, a motion to uh, enforce a subpoena. It should, very rarely comes to that. Usually people are pretty compliant. And when you, you talked about medical records, medical records, I assume what you, what you do when you get those medical records, I'm assuming you have people that help you review their maybe medical professionals, but you're, you're trying to determine ultimately the extent of the plaintiff's injuries. That's why you, you get all their medical documentation. Yeah, that that's, yeah. That when, when Mr. You know, Mr. Smith is hurt, you know, the value of his claim is determined by a lot of different factors, how much time he misses from work or, you know, how much injury or how much treatment or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and that's generally in the medical records. That's where we start. And if I want to have, you know, Mrs. Smith examined or um, have their films reviewed by a, a radiologist, uh, then I have uh, a number of professionals that I refer those those things out to. I'll have, I'll have an independent medical exam done or, or a record review or a film review and you know, a, a doctor will say to me, hey, you know, I looked at the films and, and it looks because of reasons X, Y, and Z that what was found on the MRI was there before because of these reasons. Or, hey, this is new for these other reasons. So, yeah, I don't I do not do the medicine myself, obviously. I have yeah. a, a, a professional, you know, an expert that will review that. And, and yeah, you touched on a little bit there and, you know, one, one of the things, I guess, you know, just for the listeners, when, when you're, you know, in an accident or something, you could have a claim an injury, right? Oh, my, you know, my back is injured. I have a bulging disc or a herniated disc. And you know, if I get an MRI, it's going to show that, but you also have to have causation and, you know, you have to show that that herniation was caused by the accident, right? I think that's kind of what you're saying. Your expert may, may tell you something different. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll generally get the, the, the injured party's expert, their, their radiologist or their orthopedist will say, hey, this, this herniation is new because there was never any problem before, you know, and then I'll send the film out and they may say to me, yes, I agree. Or they may say, no, I don't agree because, you know, of the way it appears. And sometimes, you know, if you have a herniation that's longstanding, there'll be, there'll be, there'll be spurring. It's called bone, bony mm -hmm. material that sort of next to the disc, which indicates it's more chronic. There, there's a lot of, a lot of those medical type issues that obviously I have someone, someone review for me. <laughs> have a doctor review it. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you got to stay in your lane, right? You can't. They taught that in real estate, you know. You got to like, like real estate agents can't talk about the contracts because they're not lawyers. So you got to like kind of stay in that lane and be careful with that. Yeah, you got to know what you kind of know what you don't know. I mean, look, Dave, Dave's done enough of this that he probably you'd be surprised how much uh, medicine. <laughs> and anatomy people learn from doing these kind of cases. Oh, you could probably read an MRI yeah. scan easy. <laughs> well, not, not that, but I can certainly tell you what the claim is worth after a pile of medical records come across my desk. Right, right. Yeah. Do you and, that, and that's what we're doing. We're evaluating the claim. But go ahead, Carl. Did you have something you want to say? No, no. And as when you say evaluating, basically you're trying to come up with a with a number, right? Compensation. How, how much money is going to get 
get paid out. That's that's what the valuation yeah. is. Yeah, that, that's, you know, Mr. Smith sues Mr. Jones because he wants Mr. Jones's insurance carrier to pay him for his injury. I mean, that's that's what we're doing here. And, and you know, the, the value of the claim is based on, you know, any number of probably a dozen different factors, what county you're in, how much time you missed from work, how many medical records are out there that haven't been paid, those types of things. So Now, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about has been like, I, I, I'm assuming that we're mainly speaking about physical injury. Do, do you do you cover like mental injury, like uh, PTSD or emotional distress or anything in that nature? Sure, sure. I have I have you know people that that hit their head or they can get a get a concussion. I'll sometimes they'll be you know I'll send them out for a neuropsychological examination or you know a neurology examination. Absolutely, a lot of people you know a lot of people get hit in the head or they, their airbag deploys and, and they get hit in the face. Absolutely. There's, there's people have had injuries often and those are evaluated and it's a little more difficult sometimes to evaluate those, but they're evaluated in a, in a similar way. Right. Do you, and to follow up, I guess on James's question, do you, do you ever get people that say, you know, I was in, you know, a really bad accident, you know, I got hit, by a truck or something and you know I almost died and now you know I'm afraid to drive right I'm I'm terrified so I don't drive anymore in other words you know it's kind of a subjective thing but it may be legit where you know as a result of being hit by this truck I'm just I'm terrified I don't drive anymore do people raise claims like that people bring up claims like that on occasion you know Generally, people, once they've sort of recovered physically to the extent they're going to, don't stay at home and, and hide in the house so much. So there is, you know, they're still driving around, but I get a lot of, you know, I'm more fearful of driving around that kind of thing. And that just kind of piggybacks into sort of a, a mental health type claim, you know, a psychological claim or a post-traumatic stress type claim. And, you know, we'll, we'll evaluate the type of treatment that they get and what they're saying. And then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there sometimes with a psychiatric review or a record review or something like that. So you cover, you cover the plaintiff, which is the, that is at the other side, defendant. Oh, you're, okay. You're, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you defense. cover the defendant, yeah. uh, which is the person being sued. What, what is the difference between covering a defendant and covering a plaintiff? Is there even a well, difference? Well, I'm a little more. Yeah, I'm a little more reactionary. Um, you know, like I said, when I get the, the the claim from the insurance carrier, it's sort of taken form a little bit. Most of the time I'll have records and I'll have, usually there's a big long demand letter in there from a plaintiff's lawyer where they say what they want. They outline the injuries they're alleging. And okay. then I'll talk to the claims professional about, <clears throat> pardon me, what we want to do from here and what, what else we need and, and go from there and then try and, either settle the claim or I'll take some depositions or I'll send some subpoenas. If it's a third party claim, if it's a, you know, an uninsured or underinsured motorist coverage claim, those are similar, but a little different. A lot of times they're not in suit yet. And, you know, I'll do some discovery that I'm able to do without, without subpoena power and then, and then evaluate it from there. How can you, you say there could be an un, uninsured motorist claim? How can somebody even create a claim there? Because, the, I mean, isn't the argument that you shouldn't have even been driving to begin with? 
Well, no, yeah. you're so so. Mr. Mr. Jones hits Mr. Smith, uh-huh. and Mr. Mr. Jones does not have insurance coverage. Right. So Mr. Smith has, you know, ABC insurance on his own vehicle. And if you look on your declarations page, you'll have uninsured motorist coverage. So that'll be the coverage that you're entitled to get for your bodily injury that's caused by an uninsured motorist. So in theory, you, quote unquote, sue your own insurance carrier for that. Claim. Oh, okay. So that's why that's why it's important to have uninsured and underinsured motorist coverage because that protects you. So underinsured motorist coverage would be Mr. Mr. Jones had a fifteen thirty and you broke your ankle, which is going to be a claim that in any county is going to be worth more than fifteen thousand dollars. So, you know that that's an instance where you would go against your own insurance company for the claim for underinsured motorist coverage. And I assume you're saying, Mr. Your insurance company ahead, wouldn't James. be providing your lawyer <laughs> to fight against itself, right? <laughs> or would no, they? no, I that's that's the majority of what I do is I do the underinsured and uninsured motorist coverage claims. So, so ABC Insurance would hire me for the claim from their insured, and uh. the claim is it is investigated similarly, not the same, but similarly. I'll get medical records. I'll take a deposition or a statement under oath of the of the injured party, Mr. Smith. And then Mr. Jones, you know, sometimes he's sort of involved, sometimes he's not. Let's say, for instance, Mr. Jones had a $15,000 liability limit that they gave up right away because this person, you know, broke their leg and, and had a concussion. So I'm entitled as the, as the un, underinsured motorist coverage carrier to have a credit for that 15. So if the claim is worth 115, then then ABC insurance for Mr. Smith would pay the other 100, for instance. So there's like a credit for what they got from the person who hit them. And obviously if it's uninsured, there is no credit because Mr. Jones didn't have any insurance. So that's, right. that's a big a big portion of what I do. That that yeah that what you just explained is a lot of information that helped me understand a little bit further. And underinsured, <laughs> I, I hope guess it wasn't too much at once. No, no, that's that's exactly what I was asking. Because when you're saying underinsured, uninsured, like these terms for somebody like me, I don't fully understand them. And now I'm I'm kind of understanding them. I'm assuming underinsured means that you're not insured to the extent that needs to be paid out. It means you are insured, but it doesn't fully cover what needs to be covered. The person who hit you, that is correct. So, right. okay. so when you look at your own when you look at your own declarations page that you, <clears throat> that your insurance company sends to you. So when you get insurance, you get a, a, a declarations page and on it will have all of your all of your all of your policy, your policy information. So you'll have uninsured and underinsured motorist coverage. Those are to protect you when you are hit by somebody else that doesn't either have any or have enough. Okay. So that's sort of to protect you. Right. And the liability is for when you hit somebody else to protect them. That makes sense. Okay. And, and I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, David, you don't have to have what we call you coverage, right? Uninsured or underinsured, right? I think you can waive that. You can, um, you can waive it or you can have less. So for instance, if you have bodily injury liability limits of, of a hundred, 300, a hundred thousand dollars, you can't get more than a hundred 
300 of uninsured or underinsured motorist coverage. You can't get more, uh, but for the right. stacking that we'll talk about later maybe, but yep. you can get less. You can get zero or you can get less. And if you want less, it's a certain type of a form that's outlined in the statute. And if you want none, it's a very strictly worded form that you have to sign to reject it or waive it under the statute. So if you want no uninsured and or no underinsured motorist coverage, you have to sign a very specific form to reject it. Okay. Yeah. And I, you know, from my two cents, <laughs> I, I think this is, and Dave, you can agree or disagree. I think this is some of the most important coverage that people should have. I think people don't understand it, but there, there's a lot of other drivers out there that are driving around with not a lot of coverage. And if, you know, somebody, you know, slams into you and, and you suffer a hundred thousand dollars worth of damages, if they only have $15,000 on their policy, that's basically all you're getting from them, right? <laughs> so yeah, if you don't have I, yeah, un they, underinsured, you have a problem. Yeah, I, 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 you know, obviously there are people that are young or there are people that don't have the means. And I understand that, that, that they want to, you know, limit their insurance costs as much as they can. But, you know, if you are a person that's able to, to afford it, I think that is not the proper way to skimp on your insurance coverage is to waive or lower your UIM or your UM coverage. It's just, you know, if you're driving to work and, 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 you know, you make whatever you make and somebody rear ends you and you're out of work for six months or whatever, and they have a 1530 or they don't have anything, you know, you're not, you're not getting, you know, all those lost wages. You're not getting them from anywhere. You're just out of luck. And it's just, if you don't have, yeah. you know, if you have the means, it's not, it's not the thing to waive. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you said, said a little bit about stacked and I don't want to get too deep into it, but you had mentioned stacked, how does stacked, I, I see on my policy, it says stacked, you know, so yes. T tell us, you know, just briefly what, what that means. If you see it on your policy, if you don't see it on your policy, well, you're either going to have stacked or unstacked. You can't, you cannot stack your, your liability coverage. So, you know, the, the, the coverage you have to another person is going to be whatever's on your declarations page. <clears throat> However, your, your coverage to yourself, so to speak, your uninsured and underinsured motorist coverage, you're able to stack that. So what that means is you can multiply it by how many vehicles are on the policy if you have stacked coverage. So, you know, if you have a 250, if you have a $100,000 liability um, and a $100,000 UM and UIM, if you have four policies, if you have four cars on your policy, you now have $400,000 of UM or UIM. It stacks it. And we're one, every state is a little different. Most states don't have stacking. Well, some do, some don't. Um, but yeah, that's another thing that that there's a lot of nuance to stacking. And, you know, again, if you have the means, I would recommend doing it because there are instances where if you don't have stacking and you don't realize you might be shooting yourself in the foot. So, right. you know, it, 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 there's a lot of nuance. We could probably do a full hour oh. on stacking and what it means and what it entails <laughs> and those types of things. So it, it, it's just, if you're able to stack your coverages and it's not generally expensive stacked versus unstacked, um, 
it's something that you should probably, you know, even if you have a single vehicle on the policy for reasons that are far too intricate to talk about here today, yeah. it's probably better for you to stack coverage, even if it's a couple of dollars more. Um, hmm. And so, you can do that so with just one, one vehicle on the policy. Yeah, you can, because there are instances where, you know, you can stack on another policy if you're in someone else's car, that kind of thing. So yeah. you just you I was want gonna to be able to ask stack. you a little bit, uh, and you just brought it kind of up. Suppose I suppose I I drive your car, Dave. You you let me drive your car, and I drive and I I crash into James, right? And okay. then James sues me. Who who whose policy applies on it? Is it, is it the vehicle or is it the driver? It always you you insure you insure cars, not people. Okay. So, okay, so it's, as the as the, there's a, a a big delineation in the law to the quote unquote host vehicle. Mm-hmm. So what would have probably happen in that instance is my insurance carrier would provide you a lawyer as the permissive driver of my car, presuming you didn't steal it. Yep. And then your own insurance carrier would probably be keeping an eye on it. I don't know if they'd assign you another lawyer or not, but you would have a second layer of, of liability to James's benefit. Oh, so, okay. So you, so, so you your, would have your policy you would, have, would be primary as they say, is it? Yep. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. They would be mm-hmm. primary. And then, and then, and then your own coverage would be sort of secondary or, or excess. It comes into play a lot in the uninsured and underinsured motorists. So let's say, you know, you you rear end you rear end James, and you won't you don't have any or you have very little, and, and James sues his own. James happens to be in my car, so he's going to mm-hmm. get the UIM or the UM on my car first as the host vehicle, and then he's going to be able to go back to his household vehicle, presuming he has stacking generally. And then get a second layer there. Uh, so, so the host vehicle matters usually. So, so James, you probably want to be stack. driving Dave's car as much as possible in case, in case there's an accident, because I'm sure he's got the greatest coverage. <laughs> he he he, do, he doesn't want to drive it enough to be, it, have it become a regularly used non-owned vehicle. However, there you go. Yeah. And, and <laughs> this stuff gets you know this stuff gets like super convoluted and we're kind of scratching the surface here but yes and and i I think as i said to 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 dave before he's got so much knowledge where i'm i'm probably looking we're going to definitely get him back i I want to get into more of this stuff one one of the things that i got to touch on because everybody you know sees limited tour and full tour and and nobody knows or everybody i talk to has no idea what that means so I'm sure you're intimately familiar with limited tort and full tort. So, so limited tort and full tort affects your ability to, to sue when you're hurt in theory. So what, what, if you have limited tort, your, your, your uh, policy will be less expensive. You'll have to sign a form. And what it means is that you're not able to sue for, non-economic damages, so pain and suffering, unless you've sustained a serious impairment of a body function, serious permanent disfigurement or death. So those are the three as enumerated in the statute. So a serious impairment of body function, you know, is obviously a term of art 
It yeah. has no real, I mean, it has some case law that talks about what it is, but it's certainly in the eye of the beholder. Um, my, when I have a claim where the claimant is limited toward, my analysis will change a lot of times given the venue that it's in, those types of things. So it limits your ability to sue for non-economic damages. So your economic damages, you know, your, your lost wages, you know, those types of things you're able to, to get no matter what, your excess medical bills, those you get either way. <clears throat> but if you want to sue for, you know, pain and suffering, you have to you have to call the breach limited tort. So you have to have a serious impairment of a body function. That's what the definition of serious injury or the serious injury. And, but, so if you have full tort, you don't have to prove that you had a serious injury yeah, um, that, in order to get your non I'm sorry, your non-economic damages. Yeah, if you're full tort, you don't have to be serious. You can, you know, have a minor injury and and still recover. If you mm -hmm. have limited tort, you have to kind of get over that threshold in order to recover. Okay. Yeah, and, and again, I would assume that, you know, limited tort is, is less expensive in terms of premiums than full tort would be. Yeah, that's that's another way people cut their premiums. Um, yeah. If you're not a litigious person, that might be a place to do it. Um, mm -hmm. If you're the kind of person that's like, hey, if I get a, a sore neck that from an accident, I might not sue. Right. That might be a place to kind of cut your premium a little bit. What's your, what's like the statute of limitation on like suing or, you know, if I get into an accident and I have a neck injury and, you know, two, three years later, I'm like, man, this still hasn't healed and I want to do something about it. Is that too late at that point? It's two years for, for, you know, if, if, if Carl, Carl hits you and you want to sue Carl, you have two years from, from the date of the accident. Generally, I mean, there's some like, some exceptions that might extend that a little bit, but but generally it's two years. <clears throat> if you want to sue your insurance carrier for you know UM or UIM, it's it's a breach of contract type claim. That's what it's sort of fashioned under, and then it's four years from it's four years from when you know you have a claim for uninsured or underinsured motorist coverage benefits. So four years. So you have time either way. Yeah, that's a lot you know, of time. I, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, generally, it's a little a, different. Yeah, and then I, well, I guess you know, you doing the insurance defense, Dave. I assume you get, you probably get people that have you know filed lawsuits, and they come in, and then I guess you, you get to depose them right as part of the litigation, and then maybe ultimately the thing goes to a trial. But I, I assume you, you kind of have you know, uh, thoughts on, hey, this person's, you know, really injured or this person's not injured. I, I assume you've run across people that you think are probably faking or malingering, you know, when it comes to injuries. Uh, I, it, yeah, I, I, I was joking with you guys beforehand about the young lady who, who came in on the high heels and had a cane. We call her high heels and a cane. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are certainly people that that are injured and there are certainly people that that are having difficulty after car accidents and i think like in any any industry or anything there are people that are that are less credible and that's part of the evaluation process i mean you know a lot of times people will come in and they will they'll seemingly seemingly be over the top and a lot of times people come in and they'll be really credible and they'll you know they'll tell you what's going on and and they're believable and 
you know, 99 times out of 100, I'll either be able to ultimately resolve the claim or sometimes we'll go to what's called an alternative dispute resolution, an ADR, where we will agree on on a specific um, arbitrator Mm. and we'll go there for for a morning for a couple hours and we'll have a sort of a mini hearing and and we'll get a get an award and that'll be that. So that I do that much much more than I try cases. I don't try that many of them, especially since COVID. People, you know, yeah. we had we had a claim where we were about to try a case in Philadelphia. You know, right when Philly started getting going again, they had up all the plexiglass and and there was chairs oh. and the jury. The, there wasn't any any gallery. It was just twelve chairs all isolated in the back of the courtroom. And my my client's professional looked at me and she's like this is ridiculous. And then we just settled the claim. So I'm not trying a lot of cases before juries right now. Um, far more often I'm doing, you know, what's called an ADR where, you know, we retain, there's probably 15 or 20 different arbitrators that people use throughout the Eastern half of the state. You know, certain counties use certain folks and we, you know, take a warning and they enter an award and, Usually we'll guarantee a little low and we'll cap the high at a certain number and we'll do a high, it's called a high low. And, and then we just do it that way. It's much quicker and they, you know, they get their settlement a lot quicker and it's much, much easier. So yeah, there are people, you know, James that, that are less credible than others, certainly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I can imagine. And do you guys, when you talk about credibility, do you, are, are there, you know, does the company or the insurance company, I'm sure they have, you know, investigators that maybe follow people. A lot of times you see these, you know, surveillance videos where the, you know, the guy claims he can barely walk or, you know, your, your young lady in, in four inch heels with a cane. (laughs) And and I imagine when you get to trial or when you get to arbitration or something, you know, these videos pop up, you know, of the guy working out at the gym or something. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I, I told you, I told you during our, our, you know, when we, when we came on initially, a lot of times you find stuff just on the internet. Like I got a, I got a claimant that was a marathon runner and was ran, ran the New York city marathon twice after the accident. I mean, people, people don't realize how easy it is nowadays. I, I don't, you know, in in the first party setting in the UM or UIM setting, I don't do as much surveillance as I might or used to when I was doing third party, the you know, when I represented Mr. Jones. Right. Um, but yeah, we, we, we do surveil people on occasion. It's not often. Generally, there's a reason that we'll do it because something sort of piqued our interest while we were doing, you know, our, our discovery or something's in the medical records that, that seems to, seems to indicate a need to do that. We don't do it that often. But but occasionally, occasionally we will. What all? Can I ask a question real quick? I was just wondering what what kind of vehicles like do you deal with? Like is it's just cars? Do you deal with trucks? Do you deal with like uh, RVs and and four wheelers? Like what what all do you cover? We we will do, you know the the three the three carriers that I do, you know I'm uh, they all have house counsel it's called but but I'm not I'm not house counsel I'm private counsel so. You know, they'll send us a lot of different things. Um, we don't do that much trucking because the carriers that I do generally um, have more 
you know, private passenger motor vehicles as opposed to commercial vehicles. I will have occasional trucking cases, not often. It's just a product of the carriers that I do don't have as much trucking and trucking insurance generally is a more specialized field than a certain carriers versus others. Um, You know, an RV is the same kind of thing. Generally an RV is going to be insured by a different kind of carrier. Uh, We do some commercial work um, from the commercial side of the carriers that we do now. So the carriers that we do have commercial policies and we will have those as well. So we do, you know, like I said, pretty much every case that I have starts with, a car accident and then we go from there right okay that makes sense right. do you ever come across um you know it's it's funny because my son was telling me the other day he was sitting at a light and he saw the lady behind him some guy crashed into her backed up and took off um and he was like horrified and i'm thinking you know what what if what if i'm sitting at the red light some guy wails into me and then he just takes off i go where am i i can't sue him because i can't find him right yeah he becomes an if 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 there are certain criteria you need to meet but Mm -hmm. he will become a phantom vehicle and then he is by definition, an uninsured motorist. So you would file suit um, under your uninsured motorist uninsured. coverage benefits claim. So that's Does another that reason why that's like, not an area to call skimp. the pol- police or something. Or yeah, yeah, you have to, you have to under this under the case law, and it's usually in your insurance policy. You have to notify the police within thirty days. That mm. the the wording and the wording of the case law is proper governmental authority, but you need to call the police within thirty days. And you need to notify your insurance carrier within 30 days. If you don't notify the police, that's that's a problem for your claim. So yeah, that's probably a big problem. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's a, you, you generally cannot make your claim. But you can so go out and take a sledgehammer you get hit by a phantom and they take off. Even if even if you have a police officer that doesn't want to take the report, mm-hmm. go to the precinct and make a report. Insist. Because uh, you know the Philly and, cops, Philly cops won't come out. Sometimes you got to go and make a report. Right, right. And, and another reason to have, report, I guess, yeah, your uninsured motorist cl- coverage. Another reason, because you know, I could see scenario. You know, some, somebody steals a car. You know, they're they're taking off. You know, they're just driving like a crazy person. They crash into you, and they're like, "Hey, I'm not hanging around." <laughs> right. Yeah. Or 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 that guy stole the car and hits you and he becomes an uninsured motorist because the policy on the car that he stole, <clears throat> pardon me, doesn't cover him because he's a non-permissive driver. I mean, you might have or or, you know, you have the ability on your policy to let's say you have a, a 19 year old son with two DUIs, you know, your insurance co- carrier might not insure them and they might say we're going to exclude little johnny from driving your cars and little johnny happens to take the car and hit somebody they're going to disclaim on that too so so they all become uninsured motorist coverage claims could it could be something as simple as that could be something where you know your insurance lapsed three days ago and you didn't pay it Uh. and then you become an uninsured motorist i mean there's dozens of instances where you get hit by somebody that becomes an uninsured motorist. Oh, you know, by Carl, a bunch of different reasons. 
Carl, we talked about this in a podcast before, and this might be a good opportunity to get the answer to the question. If you're not driving a vehicle and it's parked on private property, do you still have to insure it? <laughs> I did. I do remember listening to that. So here's the I way. I actually it, refer. It, I think it, I said I know a guy that might know the answer, to this. <laughs> and I was thinking of Dave because he knows way more about <laughs> insurance than so, I do. So is the is the vehicle being driven and is it registered? Uh, let's say or it's, is it, it's or is neither. it truly a junker sitting on your property? Well, no. Let's say it's not registered and it's not being driven, but it's in it's in good condition. It's just not it's not being used. So the so so the registration had previously expired or had never been registered. Let, let's say expired. If 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 you're going to drive, if that thing leaves the property and you're driving it on the, on on the roadway, you you got to get it insured. Well, yeah, sure, you're going to have a problem there. But if it's sitting on private property, it's not and not being be used, sure, like not being driven, yeah. not being used, not leaving the property, then you you. You should be fine, right? So what what would be the instance that you would need insurance? Uh, let's say a car was drunk driving down the road, went off the road and hit it. So if it's not, so if it's not insured then 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 there and you don't have property damage on it. Again, we insure cars, right. we don't insure people. Right, okay. You want to file a claim against you, the other guy though, right? For his liability coverage if he crashes into your car? You could you could try that to the extent he has it. <laughs> here, here's, 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 why, here's why I don't want James ask questions. <laughs> if you, you know, if you have a registered vehicle that you don't insure, even if it's not involved in the accident, so you have a registered car that the insurance lapsed, that affects your full tort limited tort status. You could be deemed limited tort even if you have full tort on your other car. So there's, that's, there's yeah, that was my, and, and so if I have two cars, I have one car I drive to work every day and I have, you know, I have this, this Corvette, you know, that I drive on weekends and I'm working on it. Right. And I say, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, they're both registered, but I don't really need coverage for the Corvette cause I don't drive it that much. No, that's yeah. not a, that's not a good move. Yeah. As soon as you know, you're on the road, you me up, right? That's going to, yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's that a bad not idea, a good move. right? <laughs> that is a bad idea. But see, okay. the, the instance that I'm because invariably that's the vehicle you're going to get hit in. Right, right. <laughs> you're not going yes. to get in the going to get not going to get hit in the one that has all the insurance. You're going to get hit in the one that you don't have insurance on. Right, <laughs> you're right. And see, one of the reasons I asked that question is because a, a while ago, uh, Carl, when I had brought bought my Chrysler, the car mm -hmm. I had before that. Uh, I didn't sell in order to get the Chrysler, but I wasn't going to insure it. I wasn't driving it. So I parked it in a, in a driveway and my family member was saying, well, it needs to be insured. You can't just leave it there uninsured. But I'm like, but it's not, it's on private property. It's not being driven. It's not registered. It's just staying there. So they were telling me that I wasn't able to do that. And I was like, I, I think I am. As long as it doesn't touch the roadway, I should be fine. In theory. Right. But again, if it if it gets destroyed or struck by lightning or whatever, I don't know if you're going to have coverage for it. Right. Yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be screwed on it. I'm going to be screwed on my right? <laughs> right. But but legally, I'm not I'm not in any kind of trouble or there's no legal problem. No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. it's a crime. I mean, right. like you, but if you drive it, yes. Unless the brakes go out and it rolls out into the road, then I'm screwed. <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, we we are coming up on uh, on that hour, right? Fifty eight minutes here. So if there's anything that uh, Carl you wanted to touch on that you haven't, uh, or, or any other topics you wanted to fit in there real quick, feel free. No, I, I want to. We, we I mean, we covered a lot, and uh, you know, I want to thank thank Dave obviously for his time. And I, I know we scratched the surface on this, but I would like to get him back another time. I'd like to hear, you know, more about some of the war stories and more about, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of, you know, kind of how you value these things, you know, what's important, what's not. But right. th thanks thanks for coming on, Dave. And we, we will no, have to get I, you I back. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks thank for you. having Absolutely. me. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. And, uh, Anybody listening, if you guys, like I said, at the end of every podcast, if you need to hire Carl, you need an attorney, feel free to listen to the disclaimer at the end. All his information is there. You can reach out to him and set up your consultation. And we'll catch you guys on the next podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided for general information purposes only. It is not intended as legal advice or advice for a specific case or legal matter. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as an agreement for legal representation. This podcast and parties do not represent you in your particular matter unless there's an express written representation agreement between you and this firm. If you're interested in obtaining legal services, head over to cnaplaw.com or call 215-268-6333 and schedule an appointment today. That's cnaplaw.com. 215-268-6333. For more high quality music like this, head over to bensounds.com.